Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, we get to talk about something that hopefully will allow us to meditate on good things, things that are true and honest and noble that we can think about, and when we're finished thinking about them, we're better people. Whenever you think about the scriptures and what they say and what God's word is conveying to us, we're better because of it. God doesn't need to communicate with us to be God. He communicates with us because He is God and He loves us. He wants us to know how to live. He wants to prepare us for how to die. He's God and He's love and we're the objects of His love. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Recently I was reading a report as reported by Bill Murphy Jr. on February 7th, 2023 in a publication called Inc. This Morning. And he was quoting a Harvard study that had tracked thousands for many, many years about life and what makes life worth living. I find those studies interesting because often, even though they're secular, the honest evaluation of life brings you back to God and what God said in the first place. So I'll be referring to this study and then I'm going to read some verses in between. This is how he reported. He said this, For 84 years and counting, the Harvard study has tracked the same individuals, asking thousands of questions and taking hundreds of measurements to find out what really keeps people healthy and happy. One critical factor stands out. It's not career achievement or exercise, or a healthy diet. Don't get us wrong, these things matter a lot. But one thing continuously demonstrates its broad and enduring importance, good relationships. If we had to take all 84 years of the Harvard study and boil it down to a single principle for living, one life investment that is supported by similar findings across a wide variety of other studies, it would be this. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. It's interesting. They found that it's really not about our careers. It's not about our money. It's not about the age we retire. It's not about living the good life. It's really about relationships. And every study, as far as they're concerned, comes to the same conclusion. The people that I've watched age and die never really said while they were dying, I wish I would have worked more or or I got more money in life or I wish I had a higher status in the social world in which I came from. They haven't said that. In fact, God in Matthew 22, 37 says, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. What is important? Relationships. First and foremost, a relationship with God. My friend, if you don't have a relationship with God, if that's not a priority of your life today, there's no possible way for you to enjoy this life because this life apart from God is going to be meaningless. You're going to search for hope. You're not going to find it because it's only found in God. You're going to search for purpose, and you're not going to find it because it's only found in God. You see, our relationship with God is the key that opens all the doors to understanding, 
We can't understand God completely because he's God, but we can understand that he loves us, that he created this world in a very peculiar or very unique way, and he allows us to respond to him because he loves us. And when he was asked what Christianity really was all about, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In order to love God that way, we need to know who he is. That's why we pick up our Bible. We read it. We study it. And the second, he said, is to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the two things that God said were important in life were relationships, first and foremost with God, and secondly with the people around us. When you look at the world in which we live, they seem to minimize both. They want to minimize our relationship with God by making God whoever you want God to be. God isn't whoever you want God to be. It's In the human realm, it's not that I have a relationship with whoever I decide to have a relationship with and call her my wife. I have a single wife that I am dedicated to, that I am committed to all of my life. And it is that special commitment that makes life and marriage what it is. And you see, loving one person like that is critically important to success and happiness in life. Loving God is critically important to success and happiness in life. You shall love the Lord your God. Other verses, Mark 1230, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Deuteronomy 10, 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Joshua 22, 5, as he tells the next generation how to be successful. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, and to cling to him and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Deuteronomy 13.3 You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. 1 John 4, 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. We're told about God's love in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, if I were Satan... I would try and mess up the idea of love totally. Because if you don't get love, then you don't get anything. Because this world is about relationships, and relationships are about loving one another. When we talk about loving God, that's different than loving people. Loving God is described to us in the Bible as obeying God. And that would be because God is absolutely perfect, and everything that he says is right. He speaks from a mind, if he has a mind. I don't know how all this works, but he speaks 
as one who has no perspective because he sees everything the way it is. He has no opinion, and he's totally motivated by what's best for us. Many times we're motivated by what we understand, and if we don't understand it, we want to just pretend it doesn't exist. Well, that's not a good way to live because there's so many things that we don't understand, and the more educated you become, the more you don't understand things. I think the smartest I ever was was when I was entering college. And ever since then, I've been learning how much I don't know. But when we speak of God, he's the only one that understands all things, knows all things. I'm still learning. So when God speaks, my proper response is to obey him. My proper response isn't to understand him or to argue with him or to debate or to talk about perspective. My proper response, if I really know who God is, is to obey him. Therefore, I really need to spend my time getting to know who he is. Spend my time reading the Bible, thinking, meditating, praying, talking to God about whatever is on my heart or my mind. You know, the greatest thing in the world is that God is always there. You can tell him your deepest, darkest thoughts. You can tell him your deepest, brightest thoughts. You can talk to him about everything and anything you want to. He already knows what's on your mind, and he still loves you. God is the creator and sustainer of life, and he understands you completely. You don't need to go and convince him of anything, because he already understands who you are. Just talk to him. And allow your mind to be molded by the fact that he loves you. See, for you and me to love one another is different than loving God. As I get to know God, I realize his perfection. I realize that loving him is obedience. I realize that the only proper response I could ever have to him is that, and that's an important understanding in life. However, when he tells me to love you and to love others, now that's different because he's not telling me to obey another human necessarily. Now what he is telling me to do is to think about what is best for that other individual and do that. And I can only do that in my human flawed flesh. See, I can't do that in perfection like God. I'm glad God didn't make it so that if you love me, that you obey me, because you could get into a whole lot of trouble just obeying me on everything. My hope has to be that I walk with God and that his spirit directs me and that I can make decisions that are best for those around me. When you think about it, we're told not to let any unwholesome word come out of our mouth, but we're supposed to be thinking about what we say and how that will build up the people around us. You see, we're looking for ways to build people up. We're looking for ways to instruct people so that they know who God is. We're looking for ways to help people be strong, to give them hope, and to give them a future, to prepare them for the inevitabilities of life. That's how we love people. We're looking for ways to use the gifts and the talents and the resources God's entrusted us with to help others see God. That's how we love other people. We serve When Jesus was with the disciples and they were at the Last Supper, he's the one that put a robe on and went around and washed people's feet because nobody else would do that. 
If you remember, the disciples seemed to be really caught on how to do things to be important. They wanted to know who the most important one was and would constantly, most likely, be jockeying for position. Jesus said that you need to understand this. We serve one another. That's how we love one another. I think that we need to re-energize the idea of serving in the church today. We need to do that so that we can indeed be people who do what God tells us to do and enjoy the people around us and obey God. God tells us to serve, and the more that we serve, the more that we help others around us, the more we'll be in a position to love them. Not only that, I think that every church should have a program in place where young people, when they turn high school age, begin to serve in the church. They can work as associate leaders, maybe with the young youth clubs. They can help by cleaning the church. They can help by maybe going to people's homes that need help painting or shoveling their sidewalk if they live where it snows or cutting grass or something. Because we are meant to serve and not be served. And so often I think we're creating youth works and church programs that serve people but the same people are doing all the serving. I think if you would follow young people through their life, those who served from the time they were in high school in the local church probably never left the church. They continued to serve and continued to walk with God, continued to develop the relationship that they started with him. Where those who were served continually probably get in the habit of going where they're continually served. We weren't meant to be served. We were meant to serve. We weren't meant to use people. We were meant to love people. We weren't meant to use God. We were meant to love God. When you start putting all that together, you begin to understand how to be successful and joyful in life. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God. 1 John 4, 8. We need to know that. We need to live with that in, in the context of life. There are many verses, obviously, in the Bible that talks about loving both God and each other. And therefore, this Harvard study that says the people who were most successful in life, happiest in life, whatever their conclusion was, it came because they prioritized their relationships. The article that Bill Murphy Jr. goes on to talk about in the Inc. this morning um, gave us about 10 things you can do to, to help your relationships. And once again, this isn't the Bible, but when something is true, it's true and can be backed up. We can look at it. We can learn from it. There might be things that are true to a certain extent or true when we know the scriptures and respond to God like we should. And I think some of these things are important for us to do in light of the fact that God wants us to be nurturing the relationships in our life. The first thing he says is take stock of your relationships, and I'll read his words to you. We can't improve things if we don't measure them. So as unromantic as it may seem, assess which relationships are important to you, which ones have proven less so, which ones you wish were better. Do it annually, perhaps every year on New Year's Day or the morning of your birthday. Take a few minutes to draw up your current social universe 
and consider what you're receiving, what you're giving, and where you would like to be in another year. You know, I think sometimes we just don't evaluate things, so we don't really know where we're at. I know that there's many men that I've talked to, and they are talking about how they're not intimate with God, not walking with God, they'd love to. And I, as they go on, I just ask them, do you love God? And they say yes. And then I tell them, well, you're not acting like it. You know, if you actually love God, you're going to act as if you love God. Or I could ask, do you trust God? Of course I trust God. Well, then, then you should act like you trust God. And I could go on and on. If, if you don't trust God, then you're going to act in a certain way. Well, how do I get to trust God? You've got to know him. So you need to decide to spend time in God's word. There are so many times, if you would take an assessment of how much time you spend with people and with God, just really you know, getting to know them, enjoying them, being with them, how much time would that be? Would that be a majority of your time or just the leftovers? Is a majority of your time in isolation on the internet? Is a majority of your time spent on business ventures, on making money, on, on sitting in an office? I, what is the majority of your time spent doing? And how can you change that to be more relational in how you live? The second thing he talks about is to nurture casual relationships. Sometimes we think the only kind of relationships that are valuable are those who that are intimate relationships, and you can only have so many of those. And I've often told young men that if at the end of their life they have five very close friends, they're going to be fortunate people because those relationships take time to cultivate. But that doesn't mean we don't have casual relationships, that we don't talk to people and ask them about their lives and enter into their world a little bit. I think it's consistent with Scripture to understand that we should be aware of the people around us and the things that they're going through so that we can hold them up before God. And a lot of times those are casual relationships. He says this, we'll get into some of the things you can do to improve the truly high-impact nurturing relationships in your life, but our lives are largely made up of very casual bonds. Think of all the simple relationships you have with people, even those whose names you don't know. The top of my head, there's a crossing guard I say hello to while I'm taking my daughter to school. The woman in the fantastic Italian deli near my house. And he goes on to talk about people that he could meet. I know as a believer, every single person I meet, it could be an appointment that God's giving me. I get to represent who God is. I get to represent what he's like, his mercy, his grace to the people around me. The third thing that this author says to do is make time for conversations. This is a fantastic habit, he says. We have brand new research to support its value. A study out of the University of Kansas suggests that simple act of reaching out to a friend for conversation at least once a day, if you can manage it, increases people's happiness and lowers their stress. Not online, not a social media account, but actually having a conversation with another person about who knows what. But make time for the conversation. You know, if you see somebody, stop and, and do more than 
a colloquialism where you just say, how's life? Fine. Thank you. Bye. How are you doing? Good. Good. Go on with life. Stop. Look them in the eye. Ask them how they're doing. Ask them how their family's doing. Ask them what they're working on. Ask them what's important to them today. Something to start a conversation. The fourth thing he says is to cultivate kindness. He goes on to say, here's a study for you. Researchers at Michigan State University combed through the data on 2,500 long-term married couples. They define that as 20 or more years to determine their aptitude in five dimensions. Extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, emotional stability, and openness to experience. To cut to the chase, the ones who reported higher levels of agreeableness and emotional stability also reported greater relational happiness. People invest a lot in finding someone who is compatible, but our research says that it may not be the end all or be all, says lead Bill Chopik, an associate professor of psychology. Instead, people may want to ask, are they a nice person? Do they have a lot of anxiety? Those things matter way more. That's interesting. Are they a nice person? You know, you can hurt the people you live with. You can hurt people around you. If you become self-centered, self-absorbed, you're not nice anymore. Because what you're doing is using people for yourself rather than loving people. Oftentimes, I have told those who are asking any advice, and it's not that many really, about marriage, that marriage is really pretty simple. When my marriage is bad, it's because I'm being very self-centered. Or possibly my wife is being very self-centered. You cannot have relational peace when two people are being self-centered or anybody's being self-centered. Why? Because then what they do is have their world revolve around them and they start using the people around them to get there. We need to cultivate kindness. When we look at somebody, when we're in a relationship with somebody, whoever it is, a friend, a spouse, we need to understand what we need to do in order to be kind to them, to make it so that their life is what it could be. Well, I'm not saying we make it so that we're accommodating to their sin and, and making them feel comfortable no matter what the situation is, but that we're kind to them. The fifth thing that this author talks about is becoming one who volunteers. I've talked about this often, where we need to be people who serve and give, not expecting anything in return. He says this, I've written about Harvard's study before. One of the key things I learned from it is that to develop better relationships, we need to make time to volunteer. If you're looking for a place to volunteer, go to silverbirchranch.org and Start looking up different things that we need help with. There's plenty of things you can do to help other people. And there's, there's whether you are or somebody that has a very specific talent, and maybe you're a carpenter or maybe you're a, a welder or, or somebody who can just pick garbage up off the ground. There are so many ways that you can volunteer in your neighborhoods, within ministries. Just make an effort to look and find a way. Waldinger and Schultz point out examples of volunteering in their research, and I'll point out two other studies, one that examined 10,000 adults in the United Kingdom and another that examined 6,000 American women who have been widowed. In all cases, in all cases, the studies showed that men and women who took time to volunteer, even just a few hours a week, 
met more people, formed relationships with more people, and took pride and satisfaction in the volunteer work they were doing. So go out and volunteer. So many young people are told that if they go do something, they should get paid for it. Many adults taught them that. So there is a mind frame out there that says, if I'm going to go do this, I need to get some benefit out of it. Well, you know, God told us as believers to take care of the widows and the orphans. And in that day and age, those were the two groups that couldn't pay you back. Learn to volunteer. Go and be those who help those who need help without anything in return for you. That's what a servant does. And we're meant to serve. There's no possible way you can have positive relationships and keep thinking that my relationships need to serve me. You need to serve those in your relationships. You start by serving God, then you serve those around you. The sixth thing that this author says is learn to apologize. I think that's a pretty simple thing. When you do something that's a boneheaded move, you probably should say you're sorry because we all do things that we shouldn't do. I know, even when I was younger, I think sometimes the I'm sorry came out while I was doing the action and people doubted that I was sorry. And sometimes I was legitimately sorry, but other times I was just playing the game. But I do think we need to understand that when we hurt somebody, we really don't mean to do that. We need to go and apologize. We need to let them know that we didn't mean to do that. The seventh thing this author talked about was to ask questions. He said, here's something everybody on the planet Earth has in common. We all like to talk about ourselves, even the introverts among us, given the right circumstances. You know, ask questions. I found that as I serve other people, one of the key elements of that is just to ask people about themselves. Sometimes my daughter had asked me when she was younger what she could do when she goes to a, a foreign country and is trying to learn about the people there and fit in. And I said, just ask questions about them. When we focus on the people that are around us and we ask questions about them, you begin to open up relationships for the future. You'll find out that oftentimes people don't ask about you. In fact, I have played a game where I've gone into rooms and talked to people and just kept asking about their lives and moved to another person and asked about their lives. And I found very seldom did anyone ever reciprocate and ask about me. But that wasn't what was important. When I left, I had connected with all of them. And in time, some of them became good friends. Ask questions. The eighth thing this author tells you to do is express your love. It's important for you to tell people that they're important to you. That doesn't happen enough. If you're a dad or a mom, it's important your kids hear that you love them. If you have friends, it's important for them to understand, hey, we love you. You're, you're somebody who's special to us. As an older man, when I talk to some younger guys, I'm constantly telling them, love you. We're, you're important. The ninth thing that this author says to do is be willing to be vulnerable. Relationships always involve risk. When you talk to God, you should always talk the truth because he knows the truth. He still loves you. His mercy and grace is available. You talk the truth to him. And to those, not everybody, but to those who you can trust, those who are your closest friends, you need to be vulnerable to. I don't think you cast your pearls to swine. They don't know what to do with it, but 
you do open up to those in your inner circle because you need to. And that's part of having friendships. And the tenth and final thing this author talks about is just keep learning and growing. Well, absolutely, we need to be people who are always looking to grow and develop into who we should be. And as I grow and develop and I learn more, I want to put it on paper so I can help those around me grow more. See, that's the fun part of life. I get to love you and others by keeping notes somewhere so that I can share on nighttime or or the podcast that we have called Younger and Older or the podcast that's called Thinking Aloud or, or just speaking here at camp. You see, when I learn, when I put myself in a position to learn, part of loving other people is putting it in a way where they too can learn from what I'm learning. So we need to be those who keep learning and growing. Well, I probably didn't say anything new to you today. You know that if you're going to have a life that's worth living, a life that's worthwhile, one that God could even say well done with, you're going to love God or obey him, and you're going to love one another. This Harvard study just went through it and said, oh, by the way, the Bible's right. Oh, I know the Harvard study didn't say it that way. But the Bible is right. You don't use people, you love people. You don't use God, you love God. I hope that makes sense. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Thanks for spending time with me again tonight. Good night for now.